You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. You know, as I've gotten older, I've I've become began to appreciate this this season of Advent more than I I used to. When we were kids, there was no such thing as chocolate Advent calendars. Uh, I I did a little bit of research on Advent, and I understand that back in 480 AD, the church ordered monks to fast during the month of December in order to prepare to celebrate the coming of the Lord. And uh, that's sort of the, the early roots of Advent. And it was something that, that the church did. And there are sort of three aspects of this idea of waiting. Advent is a, a season of anticipation. And, and anticipation means uh, the idea that um, it's, it's to bank on something, to think that something is likely, to, to bargain for something. And there are sort of three aspects of this waiting and anticipation that were to be focused on during the Advent season. One was to focus on celebrating his first coming, uh, his incarnation, when, when God became man and stepped among us. The second was the idea of anticipating his coming into your own life by faith and, and recognizing that reality. And then the third was a celebration of his uh, return, which we all anticipate, which we're looking forward to. We're banking on it. Jesus is coming back. And so it was those three aspects that were to be celebrated during this season of the year coming up to uh, Christmas itself. We were talking about that while we were driving out this morning from Surrey where we live, and, and I said to Wendy, what, what does chocolate have to do with any of that? And her response was, I can anticipate with chocolate. <laughs> it works for me. So I guess that's all right, but, but that wasn't really the intention of it uh, when it first started. It was a celebration of the coming of Christ into the world, into our hearts, and looking forward to his return. Now, the world is reminding us that there's just a few days left, eight shopping days. That's all that's left. Cooking days, preparing days. Some of you are having higher blood pressure right now, just thinking about it. But it's coming. Christmas will be here soon. And, and maybe the chocolate is a, a good thing because it does help us sort of take some of the pressure off as we anticipate uh, all that's coming. The world would like to remind us that this is this crazy time of year. And I think it's great that as a church, once a week, we hit the pause button. We slow down. We stop. And we remember that as wonderful as all of that is, that's really not what it's all about. Six or 700 years before the Savior's birth, the prophet Micah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, predicted the coming of Christ. Then there was this season of silence But these prophets were talking about a future time that was supposed to inspire hope in people. And the waiting began. This is the third Sunday of Advent, as we've already acknowledged. It's a beautiful chance to reflect on the ways that prophecy has been fulfilled and to ponder what the future holds, what's what's been promised to us by these prophecies. At the end of a chaotic year, There's something good about just stopping to be comforted as we pause and and read and pray and reflect on all that this season of the year means to us. Advent gives us the opportunity to prepare our hearts as we 
faithfully wait to celebrate the birth of our Savior and to look forward to his return. And the waiting continues. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. We can get so caught up in our to-do list. I'm not a list person. I, I have them in my head, which is getting scarier because I have so much in my head that I don't remember my to-do list anymore. My wife has lists and spreadsheets and, you know, timelines. And so I just look at what she's got planned and that's all good. But we can get so caught up in the busyness, in the, the things we have to get done before Christmas that we forget to stop and be still and know that God is God. This week we want to become still in God's presence and remember who God is and what he's done for us. It's important that we take this time to make space in our schedules for prayer and meditation and to help us see God at work in our lives and in our world. Father, we pray that in these moments together, we would indeed become quiet before you, that we'd hear your voice, that we'd know that you are God, that you came and lived among us, and for that reason, we can know your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. This is that season of anticipation as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the arrival of Christ as a gift to all of humanity. I pray that God's spirit would transform these days into days of, of celebration to anticipate not only his coming, but the fact that the king will return. I, I'm not a date setter, but as we see the stuff going on in our world today, we wonder if we're not closer to the Lord. Well, we know we are closer to the Lord's return than ever, but it seems like it, it could be any time, but I don't know that for sure. I think the church has believed that for many years. I know that the Lord is coming back for me soon. I, I've lived more years than I'm going to live. I, I'm approaching 70, and uh, I'm kind of thinking that maybe I have 15, 20 years left. I, I don't know how many. But, but I know that the Lord is going to come back for me soon, so I anticipate his return for me, and that's exciting. I, I want to make sure that the, the time I spend anticipating his return will be time that well, I will spend wisely and for his glory. So this Advent season is an invitation to, to take our minds off the stresses of life and to focus on who he is, what he's done, and the fact that he's coming back that he came in the form of a man so we might believe and live. Waiting is never easy, especially when you're a kid. The excitement, the anticipation is always tough. Uh, I don't know what your traditions were, but growing up, I remember that my, my dad set up the Christmas tree. And, and we weren't allowed in the, in the house while he was doing that. It was go out and play in the snow, go do something. We lived in cold Manitoba and we had to find something to do. And then he opened the door. And we were allowed to come in and see the tree in all of its splendor. And my dad was very creative. And sometimes that creativity was uh, lost on some of us. But, but he loved to make it Christmas. He loved Christmas. And it was so exciting waiting for when we could come in. And the gifts would all be stacked under the tree. And it was that, that sense of excitement. And those moments were so precious. But waiting was difficult. Wendy and I read a, a devotional that comes in our email uh, every morning. And last year at about this time, there was a reading that really struck me. It was written by 
Sarah Haggerty in a book called Adore. And she was talking about all the commercials that are on TV and everything that encourage us to spend everything on the pleasures of life. And she said this, we are conditioned to think that life is mostly easy, interrupted by random and spontaneous spats of hard. Except these days, it seems, seems to be the opposite. A lot of hard interrupted by random, spontaneous moments of reprieve. And so much of that hard is waiting. Waiting on a marriage to heal, a prodigal to return home. Waiting on financial stability, the healing of a parent or a baby, an empty womb. As many as there are friends in my life, there are that many waiting rooms. Perhaps all of us need a reorientation around a life spent waiting. Advent means he is coming and he has come, both. We find ourselves in the one season of a year during which we can practice staying in the tension of his presence and his not yet, but his promised coming. We're invited into the same tension every day in each of our waiting rooms, but underneath the snow resting on the twinkle-lit evergreens and the scent of pine that floods your senses as you enter your neighbor's home, there are the whispers of Advent. While we wait for God, God is here. And that can be such an encouragement at this time of year. When the prophets wrote... Uh, Back in the Old Testament, 600, 700 years before Christ, they were living in dark and gloomy days. The people were living in fear. They had turned their backs on the one true God. And the message of the prophets was a message of warning that judgment was coming. And it was a call to repentance. If things kept going the way they were, they would face the judgment of God. They would be exiled from the land. They would face all kinds of uh, terrible times because of their disobedience. But God was going to step into the world that he had created. The promise that he first made in Eden was reiterated to them through the prophets. Last week, you saw Christ before Christmas through the words of Isaiah. He came to be the shepherd king, the one who came humbly to, to lay down his life and make it possible for us to have that peace and joy that can only come from knowing God. Next week, you're going to be hearing from Isaiah. Last week it was Micah, this week, next week it's Isaiah, where you'll read about a, a child who would be born, whose name would be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This morning, we get to look at Jeremiah. We'll look at chapter 23, verses 1 to 6. I've preached Advent sermons for over 40 years. I have never preached an Advent message out of Jeremiah 23, 1 to 6. And when Norm sent me the list of passages, I wasn't sure that I wanted Jeremiah. I liked Micah, and I liked Isaiah, but I wasn't sure I wanted Jeremiah. Thanks, Norm. Uh, it, it's a, a great passage, but I've been spending a few weeks with Jeremiah recently, and it's confirmed two things. It's a great passage, but I also understand why I didn't want to spend time there. Because it starts kind of negatively. Jeremiah 23 verse 1 starts off with the words, Woe! Woe to you shepherds! Woe to you pastors! Woe to you leaders! Judgment is coming. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to deal with that passage. But here we are. And we're going to look at it because it's a great passage. We're going to read it together. I'm going to encourage you to stand and the words will be up on the screen. And let's just read in unison together Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 1 through 6. Let's all read together. 
Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up of David a righteous branch, a king who will run wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In these days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which you will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. You may be seated. May God bless his word. Jeremiah was the son of Hilkiah. Hilkiah was a priest, and uh, Jeremiah was probably born about 645 B.C. It's from a little village of Anathoth, which is about three miles out of Jerusalem, uh, in the territory of Benjamin, as we see in chapter 1, verse 1. And probably his uh, life as the, the son of a priest was training for the ministry he would have. Uh, during that, those days, a, a young king by the name of Josiah became the king of Judah. We'll talk about that in just a minute, probably around 627 BC. Uh, Josiah became king at the age of eight. And uh, it was during his reign, in the 13th year of his reign, that Jeremiah got this call from God. And you can read about it in Jeremiah chapter one, where he talks about this call. Uh, God was going to send him on a mission. And Jeremiah had a great excuse not to go on that mission. I'm too young. I can't do it. He was probably in his late teens or early 20s at that time. Now, this passage out of Jeremiah 1 has some significance in my life. I was young. I was 20 years old. I had just graduated from Briarcrest Bible College. I had plans to go to the mission field. I was hoping to find someone who would be willing to come with me. We were going to go to the, the country of Erie and Jaya. And the mission organization that I was communicating with said, Dave, you, you, you need to find a wife, which I agreed with, and you need some experience in the local church. Could you find a job somewhere to work in a local church, a ministry that you could do in preparation for going to Erie and Jaya? There's a little church in the town of Herbert, Saskatchewan that was looking for a pastor. I was 20 years old. They heard that I needed some church-related experience. Someone had heard me speak somewhere or something, and they gave me a call and said, would you be willing to come and be our pastor? I had just finished reading Isaiah in my personal devotions the day that they, I got this call. And I... Turn the page to Jeremiah chapter 1, where God said, Jeremiah, I've got a mission for you. And Jeremiah said, no way, I'm too young. And he went, yes, there's my answer. I'm too young. I can't go and be the pastor of this little church in Herbert, Saskatchewan. And then I read on. And Jeremiah heard the word of God as God said, Jeremiah, this isn't actually about you. It's about me. And I will give you the words to say. I'll put my words into your mouth. 
I will lead you to say the things you need to say. And, and it's interesting because the call that God gave Jeremiah was, was, was pretty specific. If we read those early verses, he says, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. Today I have set you over nations and over kingdoms. And then here it is. To root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down. Great mission. This is what you're called to do, Jeremiah. You're going to be announcing judgment and, and calling people to hard things. It's not going to be easy. But then he goes on and he says, to build and to plant. I've been in the ministry now for 48 years. There have been seasons of tearing down and uprooting and destroying. And then there have been seasons of building and planting. Sometimes... In life, things have to be torn down before they can be rebuilt. And the waiting continues. Jeremiah served as one of God's prophets through the rule of five kings, Josiah, the young king, and then Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. He's sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet because of his tender concern for the people. He, he wrote not only the book of Jeremiah, he also wrote the book Lamentations. And he spent a lot of his life lamenting. His soul wept because of the pride of the people. He wept bitterly and his face was running with tears because of what was going on with God's people. I wonder, how often do we weep? when we see what's going on in our world, when we see how people have forsaken God. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was a shepherd who truly cared. Of course, the people of Judah refused to repent and they were taken into captivity and that gave him even more reason to weep. He also wept because of the way he was treated in his own life. His family rejected him. There's a time when he was thrown into a pit, into a cistern that had no water in it, but it was, it was full of mud in the bottom, and he was sinking in this mud, and he was starving, he couldn't eat, he was thrown in prison, and he wept. And then there was the time when Josiah died. You see, Josiah was a good king. Josiah, even at the age of eight, became the king eight years later he began to realize that there was a true God in heaven. At 16, Jeremiah began, or uh, rather, uh, Josiah began to talk about coming back to God. And a few years later, Jeremiah came on the scene and, and there was this sense in which God was doing a new thing through Josiah. And when he died uh, in, a, in an awful situation, Jeremiah wept. Jeremiah lamented because of the way he was treated, he was mocked and ridiculed, and the way the people responded. Jeremiah's ministry was not easy. It extended over 40 years, during which he wrote, as I said, both Jeremiah and Lamentations. Some people think he may have also written First and Second Kings. Uh, there were other prophets, Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Daniel, Ezekiel, were all contemporaries of him. There's lots more we could say about his life and ministry, but we want to focus on these verses from chapter 23. The first thing we read is this warning. Woe to you shepherds. It's a warning to bad shepherds. You pastors, you leaders, those who are supposed to be giving stability and leadership and unity to the people. Woe unto you because you're not doing the job you were called to do. We want to focus on Christ before Christmas, but it's important to get some context of, of why he was saying these things. You see, originally the Jewish nation had no kings. 
When God called them together, he said, I'm going to appoint prophets and I'm going to appoint priests. The prophets will proclaim the word of the Lord or the priests will, will carry on the word of the Lord. The prophets will proclaim the word of the Lord and there will be judges. The judges will be those who will give you wisdom, who will give you counsel, who will give you advice. And for many years that was working. But the people longed for a king, just like the nations around them. And so Samuel, who was one of the prophets, in response to this people, the people wishing for a king, uh, found Saul, who was anointed and appointed by God to be their first king. And everything finished well, or started well, but it, it, it finished poorly. And when Saul's ministry or leadership as the, as the king ended, David became the king. With God carrying him through the tough times, David was a great king. He was beloved by God. In fact, that's what his name meant. His name meant beloved. And many of the Psalms that he writes reflect on that relationship that he had with God, that relationship of trust and, and faith. David was a good king. He built himself a magnificent palace to live in in Jerusalem. And he longed to build a temple that would surpass his home in splendor. But that was not going to happen. Instead, it was his his son Solomon, the next king who would be given that privilege. Solomon reigned during what was seen as the golden age of Israel's history. He was blessed with great wisdom and wealth and apparently the ability to attract women as well. his life would have made for some scandalous reality TV. He brought a whole new meaning to sister wives, let me tell you. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, Solomon, wise in many ways and yet a fool in so many others because these women coming into his life, coming to his palace, brought false gods. Uh, during, during David's reign, the, the gods, the false gods are being pushed aside, but Solomon brought all these women from the nations and they brought these false gods into his home and into his country and the nation began to decline. After his death, two of his sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, fought over the kingdom and it became divided. First Kings uh, 12 talks all about that. Rehoboam, ruled in Jerusalem over the tribes tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and Jeroboam ruled over the other 10 tribes known as the Northern Kingdom. He was a wicked person, and he forced idolatry on the people and, and practices that were totally contrary to the true God. He severed the relationships with the temple in Jerusalem and relationships with God, and eventually this led to judgment and exile of the Northern Kingdom. Meanwhile, in Judah, there were a series of kings that followed Rehoboam. Some, like Hezekiah, loved the Lord and tried to bring people back to God, but most of them continued to turn people towards the worship of idols. And then eight-year-old Josiah comes on the scene. And like I said, at 16, he began to consider God and what God wanted for his people. And they found this old copy of the book of the law when they were beginning to rebuild the temple. And, And Josiah read it and said, the people need to hear this. And the word of God was proclaimed to people and people were beginning to turn back to God. But Josiah's reign was short lived. He was killed in a battle and the kings that followed him led the people back into idolatry and away from God. And this is why Jeremiah lamented his death. And so he proclaims, woe to you shepherds. Spiritual leadership is a great privilege, but it's also an incredible responsibility. Can you imagine a shepherd that would scatter the flock? A shepherd that would be sleeping on the job and not concerned about the trouble that the sheep were in? He was driving, the shepherds were driving people away from God instead of caring for them. 
as we look at the brokenness and pain in our world today. I think we can often look at leadership in our world and wonder if the lack of God-fearing leadership in our world today is part of the reason that people are so far from God. Great leaders lead with humility, integrity, and by example, and people will follow. As I was reflecting on this and the fact that I was going to be sharing here at Midtown Church, I I stopped a few times and I, I thank God for the leadership your church has. I know that you have humble, godly leaders, Pastor Norm and others that are, are leading you. They're not people who are, are pushing you away from God. They're, they're drawing you into a deeper understanding of who God is and what it means to have a relationship with them. And you're blessed. But too often we see what Jeremiah saw, leaders who scatter the flock and don't actually care for them. Bad shepherds let sheep wander off. Earlier in Jeremiah, we see that these leaders were lying to the people. They were deceiving them. They were stealing from them. They were ruling by their own authority instead of God's. And it seemed like the people kind of liked it that way. But here's the warning to the shepherds. Because you have not given care to your people, to the sheep, you will be given punishment. You're going to get a taste of your own medicine. You've not given the people what they need, and so you will get what you deserve. Instead of leading the people in unity, you're responsible for scattering the flock, and the flock will be scattered into exile. I believe we live in days that are desperate for good, strong leadership. When Jesus was here on earth, he, he saw the multitudes, and he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What a good description of our world today. But Jeremiah looks to a better day, a a promise of restoration. After the reign of Zedekiah, the nation was taken into Babylonian captivity, but Jeremiah saw a time when a remnant would return. And 70 years later, people began to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild it as Jeremiah had promised. Jeremiah said, instead of being uh, scattered and far from God, they would become fruitful and multiply, even as God had commanded at the beginning of creation. They would begin to fulfill their God-ordained purpose. Good shepherds would be given who would lead the people. Shepherds like Ezra and Nehemiah. And much later, the church received people like Peter and Paul And today he continued to give pastors and elders like you have here, good shepherds who will lead the people. The promise is being fulfilled. But as I reflect on this idea of the remnant returning and and fruitfulness coming from that return, it encourages me because I know there are times that in my own heart I wander from God. There's times when I begin to go my own way, when I forget the shepherd who's there to lead me. And he says, when you return... When you come back, you will again be fruitful. Our God is a God of restoration. He's a God of redemption. He's a God who loves to take the messes we make and restore what has been broken. And that's the promise. There is a hope for the future. And ultimately, there would be one shepherd, as you heard last week from from Micah, who would be the great shepherd, a humble shepherd, a shepherd king. And his name, among many other names, would be Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu, which translated is the Lord our righteousness. 
In John 10, we hear Jesus speaking about a thief or thieves who had come for one purpose, to steal and destroy and to kill. We know that there are enemies of the sheep that have been doing that ever since the days of Jeremiah and continue to do that. But there is a good shepherd. And Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. I come, I lay down my life for the sheep in order that you might have life and have it in its fullness. If you come back to me, I will restore what was broken. I will bring fruitfulness and you will multiply and God will get the glory. We want to think about that name the Lord, our righteousness, and what does it imply for us today? Well, the first thing we see is that in his name, we see his divinity. In our English Bibles, the word Lord, Lord, our righteousness, is all in capital letters. And, and the idea of that is significant because whenever you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, all in capital letters, the Hebrew word for that is the word Yahweh, a word which actually had no vowels when it was first written. It was Y-H-W-H. And the reason was because this was considered the most sacred name of God, a name which was so sacred, you shouldn't even pronounce it. It's hard to pronounce a word with all consonants and no vowels. Trevor and I play words with friends. And there's times when I have all consonants. You can't make a word without vowels. But Yahweh is a word without vowels because it was not to be pronounced. It was considered such a sacred name for God. Since then, we've realized it's okay to say that word and it's Yahweh, it's Jehovah. And that's the name that is given to Christ. There is no salvation. There is no hope if Jesus is not God the Son. If Jesus is not the word made flesh who came to live among us. Jesus was not just another great prophet. He was not some kind of a, a special messenger. He was God who came and stepped into human form, became one of us. And we see his divinity in his name. I, I was doing some research on this and I came upon a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. And I'm going to just preach part of that sermon to you. It's kind of old English. It'll be up on the screen as I read what he said. But listen to this. He said, first then, he is so. Jesus Christ is the Lord, our righteousness. There are but three words, Jehovah, for so it was in the original, our righteousness. He is Jehovah. Read that verse and you will clearly perceive that the Messiah of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior of the Gentiles, is certainly Jehovah. He hath the incommunicable title of the Most High God. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. A king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby you should call him, the Lord, our righteousness. O ye Arians and Socinians, you who monstrously deny the Lord who bought you and put him into open shame by, by denying his divinity, read you that verse and let your blasphemous tongues be silent and let your... Uh, obdurate hearts melt in penitence because you have so foully sinned against him. He is Jehovah. Or mark you, 
the whole of God's word is false. And there is no noun for a sinner's hope. We know, and this day we testify in his name, that the very Christ who did lie in the manger as an infant was infinite even then. He who cried, cried for very pain as a child, was nevertheless saluted at that very moment as God, as God by the songs of the creatures that his hand had made. He who walked in pain over the flinty acres of Palestine was at the same time possessor of heaven and earth. He who had not where to lay his head and was despised and rejected of men was at the same instant God over all, blessed forevermore. He that sweat great, great drops of blood did bear the earth upon his shoulders. He was flagellated in Pilate's hall, was adored by spirits of the just made perfect. He who did hang upon the tree had the oration hanging upon him. He who died on the cross was the ever-living, the everlasting one. As a man he died, as God he lives. As Mary's son he bled. As a son of the eternal God, he had the sway and dominion over all the world. In nature, Christ proves himself to be the universal God. Without him was not anything made that was him. By him all things consist. Who less than God could make the heavens and the earth? Bow before him. Bow before him. For he made you. And should not the creatures acknowledge their creator? In the beginning was the word. The word was God. All things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh. I, I hope that just overwhelms you. The reality that, that God, the creator of the universe, God the son, became one of us. He laid in that manger, completely dependent on Mary for sustenance, for safety, for protection. And Joseph, his, his adopted father, in order that he could be our savior. God, the word, became flesh. If anyone should ever question that, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is what it's all about. You know, when I walk around the malls, I, I hear some of the Christmas carols being sung and played, and I think, do you guys even know what you're listening to? You know, one, one of the carols that I, that I love and that you probably all enjoy is the one whose chorus goes, Gloria, in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. You know, most of the carols, we, we kind of know their history, but apparently this carol is one that is mysterious. Some of the carols say author unknown, but they know kind of where it came from. But this carol has kind of existed, and that phrase, Gloria in excelsis Deo, was one that was ordered by the Pope in 130 AD to be declared in the season of celebrating the birth of Christ, that the congregation was to respond with this phrase, Gloria in excelsis Deo. So the history goes way back. There may have even been contemporaries of Christ who may have written some of these words. No one knows. It's a mystery. But listen to it. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Say what may the tidings be which inspire your heavenly song? Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sang. Come adore on bended knee. Christ the Lord, the newborn king. 
see within a manger laid Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. Mary, Joseph, Midtown Church, lend your aid with us. Sing the Savior's birth. Gloria in excelsis Deo. You know, sometime, next time somebody comes and knocks on your door and says, hey, can we talk about God? And uh, you begin a discussion and you ask them, who is Jesus? And they say, well, he was a great prophet. He was, just bring them to Jeremiah 23. It's pretty clear. The Lord, our righteousness, is his name. Something else we see in his name very quickly is that the problem of our unrighteousness is resolved because of who he is. His name is the Lord, our righteousness. Listen to what David says over in Psalm 14, verses one to three. It's pretty, pretty clear. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. All have turned aside. They've altogether become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then Paul reemphasizes that over in Romans chapter 3. Just in case we haven't got it, Romans 3, 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. All have sinned. I don't know why you're in church this morning. I think most of you are here because you love Jesus. You're his followers. But maybe you came because the kids were singing. Maybe you came because your relatives dragged you here because it's almost Christmas. Or maybe you're watching online because you just thought you should do something religious because it's Christmas. I have news for you. We're all sinners. You know, Norm mentioned that I've been doing some missionary work. I've been doing a lot of it in Africa. And one of the things I do when I'm in Africa is I, I share the gospel and we teach people how to share the gospel. It's always very hot in Africa. And so we bring along water to drink. And I tell the people, I make sure that the water I drink there is good, pure water. Because anything else would make me sick. And so I enjoy the water. You know why pastors bring water to the pulpit when they preach? because sometimes their sermons are kind of dry. <laughs> but in Africa, I drink water because it's, because it's hot. And so I, I use this bottle of water as an illustration. I say, this is beautiful, nice, pure water. And before I came over here this morning, I went out in front of our condo. You know, the people in our condo have dogs and they take them for walks. And the dogs walk around among the dirt. And I dug up some of that dirt this morning. And, and you know, that's pure water. But if I put just a tiny little bit of dirt in it, that water starts to look murky. And if I'm thirsty, Amelia, should I drink it? No? Why not? Just a tiny little bit of dirt has contaminated the whole bottle of water. Some people you know, and maybe even some of you look at your life and go, you know, I, I know it says we've all sinned, but my sin isn't that bad. I just have little sins in my life. I, I'm not that bad a person. We all have sinned, and even a little sin 
makes us unrighteous. And we don't have a righteousness of our own. We don't have any standing before God. God is holy and he can have nothing to do with us. And when God looks at our lives, he records everything we do, the good things and the bad things. And when he looks at our lives and he sees even the littlest sin, he says, because of that sin, you will be judged, you will die, you'll go into eternal exile because of your sin. And then because he loved us, he came and became one of us in the person of Jesus. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned, and yet he died. Why? Because my sin was placed on Jesus. And in exchange, he gave me his righteousness. I don't stand before God in my own righteousness. I don't stand before God because I'm so good. I'm not accepted before God because I go to church. You know, this bottle of contaminated water... This is good water, by the way. Some of us think if we pray, if we go to church, if we feed the hungry, if we work at a homeless shelter, maybe the good that we do will somehow get rid of the evil. But all that happens is that even our righteousness becomes contaminated. The Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. You have no standing before God. And you might be here this morning and you're still trying real hard to somehow please God by doing good things, by proving your righteousness on your own. It's not enough. It'll never happen. But in Christ, the problem of our unrighteousness is resolved. He gives us his righteousness and he takes our sin and pays for it with his life and because of that, we can receive the righteousness of God. And this name of Jesus also gives us hope as we face the challenges of, the life, of, of life. Look at what it says in verse 5. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch. Not only does he give us his righteousness, but everything he does is righteous. Jeremiah shifts the, the metaphor from shepherding to horticulture. And just to get a bit of perspective, if you look at Isaiah chapter 11, it talks about how he will judge rightly. He will, you, know, you might look at your life, you might look at the world and say things are a mess. And, and it's not fair. The stuff that is happening to me isn't right. I've been treated badly. I've been abused. I've, I've been mistreated. Back in the passage you looked at last week, it talked about a, a branch that would grow out of a stump. The stump might appear to be dead, but there's still life in it. And the branch that grows out of it will bear fruit. The one that comes will do what is right and just. And all that is wrong will be made right. As you face the challenges of life, you might look at it and say, I, I don't get it. I don't know why things are so hard. But the righteous king will come who will not only be your righteousness but will do what is right christ before christmas his name is jehovah sidkenu the lord jehovah our righteousness in matthew 123 we read the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him emmanuel 
which is God with us. God with us to be our righteousness, to give us hope. And so we wait. And while we are waiting for his return, he is already here. Father, we thank you that Jesus, the Christ we celebrate before Christmas, is Jehovah, our righteousness. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has never accepted that free gift in exchange, who has never brought their sin to you and received in exchange your righteousness by faith, we know, Lord, that today could be the day they could do that. And for those of us who have experienced it, may we rejoice in what we have in Christ. May we look forward to your return when all that is wrong will be made right. And may we trust you even in the challenges of life today that you will continue to be Jehovah, God who's in control, who will do what's right and make all things work together for good. And may we rejoice in your faithfulness to us, even as we remember all you've done. For we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to midtownchurch.com.